You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. The Lamb. This is truthfully, this is a, a prophetic statement about who Jesus was and about, who, about what Jesus was doing on this earth. And it, it sums up Jesus' ministry, Jesus' life, Jesus' purpose for coming to this earth. Uh, we could start by looking at the truth, truly the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament and how that whole system foreshadowed and looked forward to the death and resurrection of Jesus. We could do that, but we won't, because we'd have to go through the whole Old Testament, and I don't want to do that, because that's a long time. But instead, to sum up, the Lamb, all right, the Lamb gives us a huge clue about what this is talking about, and it's referring to the pure, spotless Lamb that was offered as a sin offering under the Old Covenant, right? Back in the Old Testament, if we read through that, we are always reading of the people of God sacrificing lambs and goats and bulls, animals in general, uh, for the forgiveness of their sins, for the, the fellowship offering, all these things. And this pure spotless lamb that was offered as a sin offering, and it was without, and without the spilling of blood of that pure spotless lamb, there was absolutely no forgiveness of sins. That was the Old Covenant. That's what God set up for these people. And uh, basically the whole of the sacrificial system can be summed up in Leviticus 17.11, where it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for, you, for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And so the blood of the animal was the forgiveness of our sins. In that way, Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. So secondly, it says the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It wasn't the Lamb that was owned by Farmer John or Farmer Bill. It wasn't the Lamb provided by a group of people, but Jesus was the Lamb that was provided by God. That's a big thing, too. For a sacrifice to be accepted, if you read back in the Old Testament again, it needed to be a perfect animal. You know, a farmer couldn't just choose uh, the lame and the crippled little sheep that wasn't doing so good anyways. He couldn't just take that one out of the flock and be like, well, it's not worth much money anyways. I'll just give it to God. I'll, give, I'll use that as my, sac- my sacrifice. It was much more than that. He had to take one that was worth a lot of money. He had to take one that was perfect in every way that it was disease-free, that looked good, that, you know, didn't have any blemishes on its skin or anything like that. It had to be perfect. It had to be worth a lot. And even in this, God knew that for, to take away our sins, we would always fall short. We couldn't provide that perfect animal. And so God had to provide a suitable sacrifice for us. And I was thinking back, and other than this time of Jesus dying on the cross, the only other time that God provided a sacrifice, God himself provided a sacrifice, was when Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac, right? If you remember that story, Abraham took his son Isaac, and he took the wood, and he took a, 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 like a torch or some, some way of starting a fire, and they, him and Isaac went on a trip, and they said, we're going to go sacrifice to God, and then we will return. And so... 
Isaac gets bound up, or Abraham binds his hands and feet with rope. Abraham puts him on top of the altar that they had built themselves. And Abraham takes out his knife, and he's about to slay his son because that's what God wanted. And God says, stop, don't do it. I know that you will obey me. And then God provides a ram caught by its horns in a bush close by. Amazing story, and it's, it's that one time in, I believe, in all of the Old Testament that God himself provides a sacrifice that we didn't have to. And so I, I find it so interesting that much of that story is Abraham going by faith. As I just said, Abraham himself says to his other servants, we will return from this sacrifice. Even though Abraham knew in the back of his mind, I'm about to kill my son. But he knew in faith that God could provide, even to the point of bringing Isaac back to the dead. Back from the dead, I mean. Abraham went by faith. There are multiple statements that imply that Abraham trusted God. And again, as I said, to raise even, even to raise Isaac back from the dead. The fact that God himself provided a sacrifice to use in order to spare Isaac's life is significant. Because Isaac becomes this foreshadowing of for all of humanity. And just like his life being saved by God's sacrifice, Jesus is God's sacrifice in order to save all of us. And so we can find um, oneness with Isaac. He was spared and another was killed. We were spared and another was killed. Jesus' sacrifice was perfect and it was from God and hence the Lamb of God. Jesus, or God, I should say, is in the business of saving our lives, even if it meant giving his only son so that the covenant might be upheld. Behold, the Lamb of God who, give, who takes away the sins of the world. And so thirdly, it says, who takes away. I remember when I, when I was a little kid, um, and I'm sure many of you can relate, your mom asked you to clean your room. So what do you do? At least what I did. Uh, I remember one time in very particular, I just, I didn't really feel like cleaning it. And so I took all of the stuff, like all my dirty laundry, all my toys and stuff, just kind of like shoved them into a corner and put a blanket over top of it. I was like, I'm done, mom. <laughs> she wasn't terribly thrilled about that. She didn't think that was clean for some reason. Even though she couldn't see the mess, she could just see a lumpy blanket in the corner. She figured it out that I still hadn't cleaned my room. Or have you ever had a big mess in your house? I'm sure none of you guys have messy houses when people are not around. I'm sure your houses are all spotless. So I'll say uh, to the rooms that I'm in charge of cleaning because my wife's house is always spotless too. So, uh, but I'm okay. Well, whatever. But have you ever had a big mess in your house and you know you have company coming over and so you you madly. For the 10 minutes right before they get there, you madly go run around and you just like put stuff in random cupboards underneath the beds. You know, you like fill your master bedroom up and then just shut the door. Right? Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But that, I don't know, happens often. (laughs) Because you don't want your guests to see your messy house, right? Because for some reason that's socially unacceptable. Because sometimes they, you just don't want them to, you know, you don't want to be embarrassed about the fact that your house was messy. Or, you know, it seems that sometimes when my mother-in-law comes over, she feels the urge to actually clean our house. 
if it's messy. And I'm like, I'm not opposed to that. But, you know, I guess that honestly, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that either because she means she has to, like, fold laundry and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's just not cool. You come over, you're, you're our guest. So don't do that. So, but covering over a mess, right? Covering over a mess is a lot different than taking away that mess. If we are to actually take away that mess, to, to like deep clean and actually put things away where they were supposed to be, I'd never be able to find things again. But that mess is totally away. Alright, it's not just covered up. There's not just like a, a skin, you know, a skin deep fix to it. It's, it's, properly put away it's taken away it's not just covered up if we cover something over it's still there right it's still there it's just hidden and but it will resurface right if you just put everything in your master bedroom and shut the door when you go to bed that night you still have to take everything out and then your house is messy again (laughs) you know we need to constantly deal with that mess you know, for the last few days, I'm not sure why, but our laptop computer has gone in the evening when I go to bed, I take it from our bed and I put it on the dining room table. And then in the morning when I get up, I take it from the dining room table and I put it back on the bed because I just I was like, I don't know where to put this right now. And that's how it is sometimes. But instead of covering over a mess, sometimes we do need to take it away. We need to actually physically clean it up. And that's the thing about all the other sacrifices in the Old Testament that all the other people had to do. They had to keep constantly doing them in order to maintain a right relationship with God, right? It wasn't this one-time deal where they sacrificed an animal and then you're good for the rest of your life. That's not how it worked back then. In Hebrews 10 verse 4, it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. You know, built into that system was the knowledge that this was a temporary thing. This sacrifice that people were making was a temporary thing, and it was a continual thing. Hebrews 10.11 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sin. And so these people knew that. That animals sacrificed did not make the people perfect. It did not make them holy. It instead, it only covered their sins. And they had to keep making that same sacrifice over and over again because they kept sinning. But what makes Jesus the better sacrifice is that he did more than just cover up our sins. It wasn't just a quick fix. It wasn't just a covering over of our sins. He totally took them away. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Hebrews 10.14, it says, For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He has perfected us who are being made holy. He has perfected us. He has taken away our sins. And that's a big deal. Because otherwise we'd still be sacrificing goats. We'd be constantly killing animals to maintain our standing with God. But instead, God himself provided for us a better sacrifice. So that we could be made perfectly holy through Christ. That is praiseworthy. (laughs) Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And fourthly, the sins. 
I think I, I, I struggle to comprehend the grace of God. And I know I'm probably not alone. I think it's, if you really stop and think about it, that's a, that's a big deal. The grace of God. It's huge. Our human brains can't fathom what it means to have grace cover all of our sins. I think that's, used to, that's because we are used to having punishment for the things that we do, right? Our human fathers and mothers, we have, there's punishments. If we do something wrong, we, we will have gotten punished. You know, our, our daughter right now, she's a perfect angel. We don't even have to punish her. No, that's not true at all. But, you know, we, we, we are constantly, it seems, we are constantly reminding her, and also Huxley as he gets older, we're constantly reminding our kids that there are consequences, there are punishments to her choices. You know, if she does something bad, there's a punishment. You know, if she kicks Huxley, if she pushes Huxley, if she yells at Huxley, <laughs> there's punishment. There's consequences. Pardon me? Yes, it's true. There is a trend here. Sometimes Nora just wants to be by herself. And Huxley's a little extrovert. And he just wants to play. And so it, there, there are consequences to her actions. And that's a slow process, right? I'm sure everybody with, with kids can, can relate. That's a slow process of teaching and of kids learning that there is consequences. There is a punishment uh, for doing something that is bad, that is against the rules. And even for me, I know that uh, you might think I was a, a, a perfect child when I was growing up, but I was not. Let me just break that, that uh, misconception for you. I was going, uh, I was taking, I, in high school, um, driving my dad's car. It was kind of a crappy car, but it was still a car. And we used to, during lunch break at school, we used to take our cars and, and in the springtime drive them through big muddy puddles. And it was awesome. Um, so, you know, that's what I was doing. I was driving this car through a muddy puddle. And generally speaking, I was a good son. And so after that happened, I generally washed the car. So my parents wouldn't know I was doing this. And so they're like, oh, how nice he washed the car. But one time, on my way to the car wash, I realized, oh, wait, I need to put gas in the car. Okay, I'll do that. So, you know, drive to the gas pump, turn off the car, fill it up, and it doesn't start again. Like, oh, no, (laughs) this is not good. Uh, Somehow the the mud, the, the, the wetness shorted out something in the electrical system. And that was not good. This was in the days before cell phones, and so I had to walk... I don't know, a while to go to the town I grew up in, their only payphone, one payphone, whole town. And so I had to walk there, up a hill to get there. I phoned my dad, and obviously I didn't have a quarter, so I had to phone collect, which was even worse. And so I phoned my dad collect on a payphone and said, Dad, the car won't start. <laughs> and he's like, why? I'm like, well, funny story. <laughs> so the short, long story short, I wasn't able to drive the car for two weeks. And that was, oh, that was a big thing. Back in high school, you know, you need wheels, right? I grew up on a farm, and so I literally could not go anywhere without someone coming and picking me up. And so there's consequences, there's punishments for doing things that are against the rules. And it's, how, it's hard for us as humans who, are, who, grew, who grew up in that system of punishments and consequences to realize that God has taken away all, all of our sins and, in, in, and as well, he's taken the punishment for all of our sins. 
He's taken away the punishment for all of our sins. As it says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus, the Lamb of God, the pure, spotless Lamb of God, has taken that punishment, the wages of sin, which is death. He has taken that and given us that free gift of God, eternal hope, eternal life, grace, mercy. All, let me repeat that, all of our sins are gone. All of us can live in freedom. Not just the little ones, not just like the little sins that we're like, ah, oh, that's not so bad. Just not, the, not just the little ones, but all of them. Even the big ones that Satan really tries to remind us of sometimes, those are gone. We live in freedom from even those sins. And let me just say right off here that if you have been, been forgiven of every sin in your life, then don't, don't think about it. If Satan tries to remind you, say that to him that the blood of Christ has covered you and you are no longer under the punishment of sin. So we don't even have to feel guilty about it because God has forgiven us. All of our sins have been taken away. In Isaiah 1.18, it says, Though your, skins are like, your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. We are made clean. We are made new through the Lamb of God's death on the cross. Jesus' death was victory over all of our sins. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so next we come to of the world. And the Greek word for world here that is used here is cosmos. And I was, I was reading into that. And um, by definition, that word means the world. And then another definition that um, Strong's Concordance gave says it means the inhabitants of the earth, men, the human family, the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I want us to know that there's absolutely no one beyond the far-reaching arm of God's grace. No one. Jesus didn't just die for a group of people, or for us at the gate here, or anyone. Jesus didn't die just for some people. He died for everyone. His death was inclusive over everybody in this whole earth, past, present, future. What that means for us is that no one should be left out of God's grace, but also that none of us should think that grace is not for us. Right, statements like, oh, you don't know what I've done, or you don't know what happened to me when I was a kid, they really don't apply here. All right, there's no excuses for not receiving God's grace. We can't come up with an excuse that God says, oh, good point, I'm not giving you grace anymore. All right, God's grace is for everybody, for everything, for all time. God's grace can save everyone. God's grace can change 
anyone, no matter what. And what makes it grace, undeserved grace, is that we all don't deserve it. Alright, so we can't just point a finger and be like, oh, they don't deserve grace. I know what they've done. We don't deserve grace. No one deserves grace. But we all get it. It's all available to all of us. Even murderers, rapists, people who vandalize crosswalks can plead for God's grace and repent and God will welcome them into his arms. That's powerful. It's tough for us to acknowledge that. And I do realize that. It's tough for us to think that someone who has taken another life or has abused children or whatever, whatever horrible things people have done, it's tough for us to realize that they can be forgiven. But just think about it. We have been forgiven. All right? You, you all know the things that you have been forgiven for. And so we can agree, we can all agree, I hope, that grace is for everybody, no matter what we've done. If we believe that grace is for us, then we need to believe that grace is for everybody. And I want you to know that grace is free for the taking. All of us, all of us, not just these people in the building here, but everybody in this whole city and the whole world have had grace offered to us no matter what we have done, no matter what has been done to us. What grace does for us is that it makes us holy when God looks at us. He sees Jesus' perfect life. And God sees that we are made clean by the blood of Jesus. It means that our past, whatever we have done, whatever bad decisions we have made, or whatever horrible things we have done, it does not have to define who we are. God's grace gives us a brand new father and a brand new identity. Through grace, we are made into sons and daughters of a great and awesome king and a great and loving father. So today, no matter what kind of week we've all had, no matter what kinds of things you are dealing with, I want you to know that God's grace and love is for you right now. Knowing that God's grace covers over everyone's sin. It's like if you receive an awesome gift from someone. It's really hard to, to keep quiet about it. And, and instead, we, we go around and we're like, hey, check out this awesome gift that I've gotten. And in, in addition to telling about the gift, you say, like, man, that person that gave it to me, they're pretty awesome too. Because they thought about this, it was a really awesome gift. And so you talk about it, right? And same thing with us. Receiving the God's gift of grace, we should be talking about it. We should be going out into the world and telling other people about this amazing gift of grace that we have been given. In 2 Corinthians 5:17 to 23, it talks about this. And it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us 
the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In that way, we are perfectly suited to carry this message of grace and reconciliation to the world because we ourselves are recipients of that reconciliation and grace. So I appeal appeal to you, be reconciled to God. If you have not done that, today is the day. And if there's someone that is in your heart that you need to tell about this grace and reconciliation with God, I encourage you, do that this afternoon. Text them, phone them, talk to them. Encourage people, tell people about the grace of God. If the band could come back up. As we have communion, this is the perfect reminder of our daily grace. Christ took these common, everyday objects and put them put on them great symbolism. He took the ordinary and made them extraordinary. So that whenever we eat or drink these things, we can be reminded of Jesus' death and the grace that he won for us on the cross. So we take these two elements and we remember the cracker of the bread which symbolizes Jesus' body broken for us. And the juice which symbolizes Jesus' blood that was shed for us. The blood of the new covenant, that new deal that God made with us through the death of Jesus, which is God's grace for us. God's grace to us, to the world, for the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 